0: you are listening to The Archivist. I'm Jana, and I'm dedicated to preserving the details of crimes that are committed and lives that are lost. This is The Archivist. All right, welcome back to The Archivist. So, you you may be able to hear it sounds a little bit different. Um, I am sitting outside here at my son's baseball practice. And I just needed a little bit of a mental health break. So, I am recording outside. I don't know if being in nature and being outside makes you feel any better. It makes me feel good. It gives me kind of, it refreshes me. And I really needed a mental health break this week, Um, which is also why our story is going to be a little bit different because today I need to talk about a survivor. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear survivor stories. I need to hear about how one person's resoluteness, I guess, if that's a word, um, is able to overcome. And the story that I'm going to tell you today is exactly that. This is a person, a woman, who decided that she wasn't going to go down without a fight. And if she was going to die, she would die trying. On June 12, 2010, 32-year-old Danielle Percio is driving home from a theater performance. By day, she works as a Paralegal for a criminal defense attorney, but she is also an amateur actress and she performs in her community theater in Conway, South Carolina. Conway is a small city in Horry County, South Carolina. There's about 25,000 residents and it is located in the far northeastern corner of the state, sort of near Myrtle Beach. A lot of the articles that I found were actually like Myrtle Beach television stations and newspapers. So Danielle is on her way home from a theater performance or practice or something in the evening. It's, you know, after 10 o'clock, and waiting at home for her is her 12 year old daughter and her fiance. She needs to get gas in her car, so she stops at a um, Save Way gas station to fill up her car. And while she is pumping gas, she sees a young man. He's probably about 14 or 15 years old. And he approaches her and asks her what direction she is headed. And she tells him that she, you know, where she's going to be going. And he asks her if she would give him a ride. And she said he was like, you know, like he said, like he was so tired that he'd been walking for a long time and that he just really needed a ride. So she is conflicted. Her mom instincts kick in when she wants to help him because she says he's really young. He looks like he's maybe only 14 or 15 years old. And, you know, she just feels like she needs to help him. She watched him as he asked other people at the gas station and no one offers to help him. So she, you know, like she has this internal battle with herself where she says, you know, oh, I shouldn't help him. It could be dangerous. He might be lying He there. He might be up to something. And, you know, she kind of like chastises herself and is like, why are you feeling that way? You wouldn't feel that way if this was a nice white boy dressed nicely. You know, you should, you should still help him. If this was your daughter, you would want somebody nice to help her. And so she, she kicks herself and she says, I'm going to help him. So she asks him where he's going to go. And he tells her that he only needs to go about three miles up the road to a house that is near um, the library in town. And so she's like, I don't think anybody's going to have me take them to the library and then kill me. So, you know, like the location really kind of like made her feel a little bit better. So she takes, you know, she's just kind of looking at him. She said that, he is taller than her, but he's really skinny. And she said he was very slight looking. And she's also said that he looked like he had had a pretty hard life. He had some scars on his face and she just, she's just said that she felt like he really needed some help. So she tells him, get in the car. I will take you where you need to go. And so she drives up the road and he directs her to a neighborhood near the library that is a nice neighborhood and has a really large house Um, and she's like looking up at this house on this hill and thinking like wow this is a really nice house and he had told her that it was his aunt's house and she's like are you sure they're gonna let you stay here and he's like yes and she's like because I don't want you to be on the street overnight and she said she's like looking at this house in this big nice neighborhood she said then He says something to her, but his voice has changed. She said it was no longer this, you know, meek and soft voice of a young boy. And she said instead it was a very deep and in control and very menacing voice. And she said that she turned around to look at this boy and he is pointing a gun at her. Her first thought that ran through her head was, I should have known. You had doubts at first and you should have listened. And I think that is such a sad thing to have run through your mind. Like, I feel like people that are willing to help, like when you are a nice person and you're willing to give of yourself, it's such a hard thing to have that taken away. Like, I really feel bad for people that stop doing nice things because they were taken advantage of. Danielle is, by all accounts, a very generous person. Her fiancé and her mom both told her that they had warned her against helping people because this is something that she has done in the past. She said that in front of her eyes, this boy had transformed from a helpless and well-mannered boy into an intimidating, calculating, and violent man. He just exuded violence her mind starts to race and she's scared and she's trying to think about like what she could do to get out of this situation. And, you know, she said that her heart was pounding so hard that she was just certain that he could hear her, hear her heart. So this boy, and I'm not going to give his name. He was a minor at the time that this was, that this happened. He's not a minor now, but I just, his name is out there. You can look up her case and you can find his name. But I'm not gonna name him here. I'm just gonna refer to him as the boy. So he demands that she give him everything that she has. He first asks for money and she says, like, yes, I don't have very much money, but you can take everything that I have. And she just said she just wanted to let him see that she was not gonna fight him. So he, she didn't want to die over her belongings is what she said. So she says, you know, here's the little bit of cash that I have. You can have that. Um, he says, well, do you have any credit cards? And she says, I have these debit cards. And he asked for the pin numbers, which she willingly gives him. And again, she's like showing him, I'm not putting up a fight at all. Um, so he sits there after she gives him everything and, you know, kind of like, she felt like he was like thinking like what his next move was and probably because he didn't expect her to be so compliant. I think he thought he was going to have to fight with her or injure her in some way. And she didn't have to, he didn't have to. So after a minute, he says he wants her car. And again, Danielle's like, I'm going to be compliant. She says, okay. And she starts to open the door and she starts to get out of the car, but he yells at her he yells, no, stay in the car. And so she's like, oh my goodness. And he says, this is a quote. This is what she said he told her. He said, you're going to go where I tell you. You're going to turn where I tell you. And you're going to stop where I tell you. Do you understand? And she's like, yes, I understand. I will do what you say. Again, she's trying to be as compliant as she can. She's trying to keep him calm. So at this point, she says that he never takes his gun off of her. He's forever holding it in her side, which I'm like, oh my gosh, that must be so terrifying. And she also says that he doesn't take his eyes off of her. He looks at her the entire time. And she knew that he had a clear idea of where he was heading heading because he did not hesitate on where he told her to turn at all in the directions that he was giving her. So... She in her mind is like thinking like he knows where he's going. Is he taking me to like an abandoned house where he has friends waiting? Like what is going to happen? You know, and her mind is racing and she, you know, she's like picturing that he's going to have her drive on to the outskirts of town and that he's going to like leave her dead body and she's like terrified. Like what if they never find me? Like all of this is running through her mind while he's telling her where to go. He also starts quizzing her about the pin numbers that she gave him. And he says that he thinks that she lied and that she gave him the wrong numbers. And so she seizes on this opportunity and says that, you know, like I will take you to the bank right now and I will show you that these pin numbers are real. I am not lying to you. And her, in her mind, she's thinking if I can get him to the bank, maybe I can get away from him in at the bank. Um, He obviously thinks the same thing because he says, no, he shoots that idea down completely. So again, she's like, how am I going to get away from this guy? I don't know. If you would like to see pictures from this episode, please visit our website, thearchivistpodcast.com. I always post pictures and important links, as well as listing all the sources for each episode. That's thearchivistpodcast.com. And at this time, I also have to remind you, this is a 14-year-old boy. he He's a 14-year-old boy. And in my mind, when I'm thinking about this situation of somebody holding a gun on Danielle, or even like if I put myself in her shoes, a gun being held on me, I'm not picturing a 14-year-old boy. I have a son that is 14 years old and he's taller than me, just like Danielle said that this boy was taller than her. So I understand like that. Size difference, but again, my son is a boy. he's not a man, he doesn't look like a man, but in my mind, as I put picture being in this situation, I picture a man and that's what scares me the most is that this is such a young person and so like I just said that you know he is taller than her at the time of this um, robbery attempt. I looked up his prison records, and he is now six foot three, and he's two hundred and thirty five pounds. Um, obviously, at the time that this is happening, he's not that developed. Danielle continues to follow his directions, and she thought that he was taking her towards like the projects that are in Conway. But he then tells her to turn down Ninth Avenue. And while this is all going, like I can just feel her mind racing and the wheels are turning and she's like trying to figure out what to do. Like one of the things is that she was thinking is like maybe he's he will like take me in deeper into the city as he's headed to wherever he's headed and I can get into an area where there's like a gas station or a convenience store, you know, it's like something that's populated where there's going to be people and I can get away from him there. But he tells her then to turn down 9th Avenue, and she doesn't do it. So this is the first time that she hasn't complied with his um, orders. He gets angry when she doesn't turn down 9th, and he tells her to turn down 10th Avenue. Like, immediately, in his anger, he's like, turn down 10th Avenue. And this is like a charming little street in Conway. It has houses on both sides, and it has a median that has trees in it. And again, Danielle is still trying to think through, well, how can she get out of this situation? It's at this point that he asks her if she is scared. And again, she's trying to keep him calm. So she's like, what is it that he wants me to say? Does he want me to say I'm scared of him or not? And so she's like trying to answer the questions that he's asking her in the way, in what he expects the answer to be. And... He also, at this point, begins to ask her, ask her very sexual questions, as far as what kinds of things that she likes sexually, and these are not these are threats. This is not he is he's threatening her, and she then realizes that at the very least he is going to rape her, but she's pretty sure. He's not just going to rape her. He is going to murder her also. And she doesn't think that he's going to let her out of this situation alive. So Danielle starts thinking about her daughter and she is desperate to get out of this situation. She, she, She's trying to decide, you know, like to figure out any way that she can to get out of this. And she feels like if he's going to kill me, He's going to have to fight me and I'm going to die trying to get away from him. At this point, he tells her to make a left turn and Danielle is not familiar with this area. So she starts speeding up and the boy like starts yelling at her. So she's like thinking, I'm going to speed this car up and I'm going to wreck this car into something and she floors the gas pedal and she's screaming no at him as he's like telling her to stop and slow down and turn here and she floors the gas pedal and as she's racing this car forward she um, aims it towards the trees that are in the center median of the road as she is doing this she hears what sounds like a firecracker go off and then her ears start ringing and she realizes that she has been shot and she puts her hand to the side of her head and all she sees is just like tons of blood like gushing down her arm and she is scared that she's going to die. I mean she's like I've been shot in the head and I'm gonna die. She jumps out of the car at this point and she runs towards the only house on the street that has a light on and She's scared that he's going to follow her. She, you know, she's like, I'm standing in the light on this porch. He can see me. And she's just, she's really frantic to get help because she's worried that he's going to come after her. So the woman comes to the door and at the sight of Danielle, she screams a second lady steps to the door and throws open the door when she sees her. And, you know, like she pulls Danielle in, she sees all this blood gushing all over her and Danielle is like begging and she's praying like, please don't let me die. And so these two women call 911 and, you know, they're trying to reassure her, but she's feeling herself grow weaker and she is terrified that she will die. Um, And I'm going to play part of that 911 call for you now. Someone just came to my back door. I do not know her name. She has blood on her and she's screaming. Do you need an ambulance? Yes, hurry up. There's blood all over my floor. Okay. So while these women are tending to her and calling 911, she starts to get scared that he will go to her house and kill her daughter. You know, she like realizes that he has her driver's license, so he has her address. She feels her cell phone in her back pocket and she gets it out. I don't know how she had the presence of mind to even do this, but she did. And she calls her fiance and she says, don't ask me any questions. You do not have any time. You just need to please get, she says her daughter's name and get out of the house. Please leave. And at this time, the police with an ambulance arrive and they Take the phone from her and they fill him in on what has happened you know they tell him that she has been shot she's been carjacked they're helping her they're going to take her to the hospital so i can't even imagine how terrifying that had to be danielle is very lucky the bullet had entered her skull behind her ear and traveled basically towards the center of her brain but it hit the a bone and stopped short just literally like millimeters from her brain stem and spinal column. So doctors determined that it is too risky because of the placement where the bullet is that they cannot remove it. And they're hopeful that the bone and the brain will heal around the bullet and that, you know, she'll be fine. In the end, she didn't suffer any paralysis or deafness in her ear. She did have a broken neck because of the bullet and, um, she had to wear like a stabilizing collar collar around her neck to help her heal and strengthen her bones. But doctors, you know, they hoped that the bone would heal and she would be okay. The 14 year old boy was found about 30 minutes later, literally joyriding around town in Danielle's car like it was a trophy. So Danielle was just struck by the callousness. Like what kind of person can shoot, harm another person who is offering kindness and help? He was charged with attempted murder, armed robbery, kidnapping, and carjacking. At the time of his arrest, he was charged as an adult, which would have made him eligible for life without parole. However, this issue of charging juveniles as adults is controversial, and the Supreme Court has heard several cases regarding the matter. Um, So beginning in 2005, the Supreme Court allowed brain science about adolescents to be heard in cases regarding the death penalty for a person under age 18 and the supreme court ruled that juveniles cannot be sentenced to death they wrote that the death penalty is a disproportionate punishment for the young immaturity dis- diminishes in- <laughs> i can't say that word immaturity diminishes their culpability as does their susceptibility to outside pressures and influence Their heightened capacity for reform means that they are entitled to a separate set of punishment. So in 2005, the case the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the juvenile stating it's unconstitutional and the ban for the death penalty also included mandatory life sentences. Between 1976 and 2005, 22 defendants under the age of 18 were executed and the 2005 ruling affected 72 inmates in 12 states, so they had to be resentenced. In 2010, using the Roper decision, another case was brought to the Supreme Court contesting life without parole for juvenile offenders, and the court called life without parole and especially harsh punishment for a juvenile a 16 year old and a 75 year old each sentenced to life without parole receive the same punishment in name only limiting limiting the use of life without parole did not guarantee such individuals would be released but it does guarantee a meaningful opportunity for release more has happened to change the laws against mandatory life sentences 14s since 2010. In 2012, there was a, another Supreme Court ruling that a mandatory life sentence violated the Eighth Amend- Amendment right we are all afforded. And so by 2012, when this boy was, who had carjacked Danielle and attempted to murder her, he was already in prison. So his sentencing d- Changed. It it matched the 2010 ruling. Uh, he went to trial. The state could not try him as an adult. They also could not give him a mandatory life sentence. He pled guilty to all charges and was sentenced to 16 years in prison. And he did remain in a juvenile facility until he turned 17 and was then transferred to an adult correctional facility. And I know if you've listened to true crime, you've probably heard the just wailing and crying and outrage that attempted murder does not hold the same weight as murder when it should. I mean, truly just because they didn't succeed doesn't mean that their intent was not to murder. So, you know, I don't know. I, I flip back and forth, but especially on this one, I really wish 16 years doesn't seem like enough. So he is set for release in 2026. So we're, you know, four short years away his prison records do not show a real a rehabilitated person. He has so many infractions. I think when I downloaded the the PDF of his prison record, I want to say it was six pages, but four of those pages were infractions, line by line by line, um, which is crazy. He has not taken advantage of any of the programs that I can see that the prison system system offers, like no education, no job training. And I'm pretty scared about what he may do in public life. One of the articles that I read on this case, Danielle's family, her mother and her fiance, both said that Danielle's trusting nature is one of the reasons that so many people love her. She is kind and always willing to help. She has a big heart and she looks at the inside of people and not their outside. And the writer of the article went on to say, I felt like this was a very poignant point, poignant point. (laughs) He said, she is the one who made the fateful decision that will forever alter her life. She's the one who was initially concerned in the car, not for her safety, but for a boy she thought was 13 who might have a drug addicted mother or might have trouble finding a place to sleep that night. She is the one who saw a boy morph from meek to menace. She's the one who heard him use four-letter words and sexual threats. But she's also the one who decided to crash her car into a tree, and she's the one who decided if she would die. She would die fighting. She is now the one who will have to decide if she will build a wall between herself and the rest of the world, or if she will go on living as the person who fights for the underdog. Danielle did not leave this terrible ordeal unchanged. And she says about herself, I always said, I don't think there are bad people, but just good people who have done bad things. I don't think I'm that liberal anymore. I don't have any guard. I didn't have any guard up. I do now. I don't think that change is a bad thing. And I agree with her. It is good to have your guard up to listen to that voice in your head that says this might be dangerous or this situation might not be what it appears. But I also want to say that we, we need to keep helping others if it's, if you can do it in a safe way. So, you know, maybe the right answer isn't giving the ride. Maybe the right answer is offering to call someone for help in a safe way. Take them somewhere I will get you help. I will give you money, whatever it is, but not to allow yourself to be vulnerable like Danielle did. But I'm so proud of her. I am proud of her making up the decision in her mind that she was not going to go down without a fight. And because of that, she is still alive. So I hope this was a good mental break for everybody. Hopefully the uh, sounds of baseball practice and trains and, crickets and wind weren't too distracting I just felt like I needed to be in nature and I needed to feel calm this week so take care of yourself when you need to thanks for listening bye if you would like to suggest a case or you have any questions or comments you can email us at contact at the archivist podcast.com You can also visit our website, thearchivistpodcast.com, where you can see pictures, read show notes, see our sources, and also find links for our other episodes. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Bye.